Good afternoon, everyone. I greet you all in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a privilege to be together in his name. Um, today is a very special occasion for several reasons. First of all, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper, which is always very special. Um, the second thing why it's special is that I did not bring a map today. So we'll do it that because the passage that we will be reading is just in one place. So it's just about Caesarea. That's all. But the third reason why it's special today is that today's passage, passage is the last time that Paul is in prison. Hey, from the next chapter on, he's out of prison. Well, they set out on a voyage to Rome on which they get shipwrecked. So I don't know which of the two would be better. But this is the last time that we read about Paul's imprisonment in Caesarea. So if you have your Bible with you, please look up with me Acts 26, and we will read from 24 to 32. Or if you don't have your Bible, you can look it up on your cell phone, or else you can also read it from the screen. Acts 26, 24 to 32. We uh, drop in at the part where um, Paul is giving a speech before the Roman governor, who is called Porcius Festus, and he is accompanied by the Jewish king Agrippa. And at some point, Festus interrupts. Verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of the things, none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for those chains. Those chains. The king rose and with him, the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with him. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So that's the end of this chapter. And like I said, the next chapter starts with uh, their, their voyage out to Rome because Paul had appealed to Caesar. Now, the topic for um, today is um, almost, but in order to understand that, we should have a closer look to uh, verse 28 that we just read. It said, Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Now, there is some debate about this translation, uh, especially the words, such a short time. Um, I've been looking it up in the original, and you can also translate it into something like almost. Like, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Now, personally, I prefer that uh, translation better, so we'll go... Um, with that, in this, uh, in this case, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. 
So that's the topic for today. Almost. Um, just to, um, to catch up with what we uh, looked at last time, as I said, Paul is still in prison here in Caesarea. Uh, Caesarea, just for those who um, um, missed the map, picture the map of Israel, and you have on the west side the shore with the Mediterranean Sea. Well, in the middle of that, there is Caesarea. The Romans made that settlement when they occupied uh, Israel, very central, very strategic, at the shore so it could easily be, be reached. That's where Caesarea was. That was the place from where they ruled the entire area in, uh, in Israel. Paul was imprisoned there. One Roman governor went, the other Roman governor came. The new one here is Porcius Festus. And this governor, in order to do the, the Jews a favor, he kept Paul in prison. Even though he knew there was no valid charge against him, there was no reason to keep him in prison still, Unlawfully, Paul was kept there. Now, at some point, the Jewish king, Herod Agrippa, came to visit the Roman governor. You know, you need to know, um, the Romans had already found out that um, you had to be very careful with this people of the Jews in how you ruled them. Like with other people, they could just brutally overrule them. But with the Jews, it was a special case. It was very sensitive, and you had to be very careful for revolts and things like that. So they, they left local authorities in place through which they could rule the people. So Herod, King Herod Agrippa, was a Jewish king, but he ruled under the authority of the Romans. So here you see that this Jewish king is visiting the Roman governor, and this Roman governor thinks, wait a minute, this is a great opportunity. This guy, this Jewish king, he knows all about Jewishness, he knows the laws, he knows the traditions, he's, he's an insider, and I need to write a letter to Caesar because this guy, Paul, he appealed to Caesar, but I have no idea what to write to Caesar. So if, if Agrippa can help me with that to find out what are actually the charges against Paul, then I know what to write in my letter to Caesar. So it happens, and even Agrippa agrees because he probably already had heard some rumors about this new upcoming sect in his mind and this great preacher Paul he had heard about. So he was, he was quite interested to have an opportunity to hear this Paul for himself. Here is a win-win situation for both, for both Governor Festus and for King Agrippa. And they ask Paul or they require Paul to come up so he can, can be interrogated by Agrippa. When you look through this chapter, 26, and the speech that Paul gives there from the time on that Agrippa tells him, you can speak for yourself. From that very moment on, Paul gives an excellent speech. It really is excellent according to the standards of eloquence. In fact, this speech has been counted among the most eloquent spe speeches of entire uh, Greek antiquity. Can you imagine that? It is so well set up. It is so reasonable. It's, it's a perfect speech. But how does Governor Festus um, respond to this speech of Paul, which I just said is an example 
Isaac, welcome. How does Governor uh, Festus react to this um, example of eloquence from Paul? Oh, Paul, you've, you've gone mad. You're crazy. You're insane. All this studying of yours has made you mad. Well, in fact, this uh, Festus only exhibits his own ignorance, his own stupidity, actually, by responding in a way to in a way like that to a speech that is so eloquent. So Paul notices, Festus doesn't understand a thing of it, so I'd, I'd rather focus more on King, King Agrippa then, who has more understanding of what he's trying to say. Um, so Paul, Paul addresses him personally. Now you need to know this King Agrippa, he is the son of Herod Agrippa, about whom we already read in Acts chapter 12. If you don't know the story, please uh, read it again at home. In Acts 12, you can read about the Apostle Peter, who is being imprisoned by King Herod Agrippa, uh, with four sets of four soldiers guarding him. But in the night before he will be executed, God sends an angel to Peter, who rescues him from the prison and brings him out to the street, back to the other believers. The other day, King Agrippa, he... Uh, wants to make a good move to the people and wants to execute Peter in front of them all. And there is no Peter. Well, instead, he then executes all the guards, by the way. But afterwards, it says that um, he went over to Tyrus and he addressed the people there. And the people adored him like, this is not the voice of a man. This is the voice of a god. And he liked it very much. And a few days later, he was dead. That was this, the father of this King Agrippa. So this Agrippa had some sense of the, the reality of God and some sense of the reality of what those new type of believers believed in. It seems like he is he's seriously interested in, in what Paul has to say and that he has a, a real interest in this, this new kind of faith like I said, apparently he had already heard about it. He had heard about Paul. And he comes to the exclamation, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. So what Paul says about King Agrippa in the part that we just read are a few things that are really positive. He says, King Agrippa, I know that you are well acquainted with Jewish customs and also with the controversies that are going on be between the Jews. He, he is an insider. He's not, um, he's not unaware of what's, what's happening in Jewish. No, he's, he's, he's been raised up in that. It's part of his identity. Next to that, he's also familiar with the fact that these things are true and reasonable. So Paul sees in King Agrippa, that there is a sense of, of reality about what Jewish belief is about. There is truth in it because it's faith in the true living God, the creator of heaven and earth. Next to that, he has noticed that these things have happened, like these things he's referring to, uh, the things about Jesus and the Jesus movement that has come about ever since. Agrippa is aware of these things. It didn't just happen in some back corner of the Roman Empire. No, it, it happened in, in Israel, almost in the, in the middle of the, of the empire. He noticed that these things have happened. And fourthly, Paul says, Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? 
I know. I know you believe them. So there is, there is some faith in the heart of this king, King Agrippa. And finally, he almost is persuaded to become a Christian himself. Almost. But, but not entirely. Many times, this is a, a common reaction to, to the gospel when, when people hear it. Almost. But yet, no. Even though it, it all makes total sense, what people hear from the gospel, even though there can be nothing brought against it, against it I, I would almost accept it, but still I don't. No. Now, what, what is it that can keep people back from accepting the truth of the gospel, accepting the person of Jesus Christ himself, even, even though it's, it's reasonably totally clear? What, what keeps people back? Well, for one thing, it can be family or friends. Ooh, what will people think about me when I became a Christian? When I stepped into something which is in their perspective, something like a sect or something, if I've been brainwashed or whatever, what will people think of me? Or it could be fear of, of mockery. And let's be clear about this. Jesus already foretold us that they have persecuted me. They will persecute you as well when you become a follower of me. So this is a, a real fear, a, a real thing, yet you should wonder whether it should be uh, something that should keep you back from accepting the truth, accepting Jesus Christ himself. Or perhaps it, it might also be fear of um, sacrificing too much. Because accepting the truth of the gospel, accepting Jesus, implies that you change your life. That your life becomes different from what it had been before. And for some people that sacrifice, if you can call it that, that way, may be too big. Oh, I, I need to get rid of my old friends then. I need to get rid of my old habits. I need to get rid of all, all this and all that. That's, that's too high a price. Really? Or it might also be some unwillingness to give up certain sins. Like I just said, accepting Jesus Christ means that your life is going to change. That old habits need to be given up and a new way of life has need, need to be developed. Yet the question is, whether giving up these old things is for the bad or for the good. What might people keep back? What might keep pe people back from accepting the truth of the gospel? And I don't know about each of you personally. I know from many of you that you've accepted the Lord Jesus. But if you have not, think for yourself honestly. What would it be that keeps me back from accepting the truth of the gospel, from accepting Jesus in my life? And would that be a valid reason? Because on the other hand, let's look at what, what the gain of the gospel actually would be. What do you gain if you accept that the gospel is true? 
if you accept Jesus to be Lord and, and ruler over your life? Well, first of all, it means that you're standing in the truth. You step out of a life of lie into the very truth because Jesus says about himself, I am the truth and the way and the life. So accepting Jesus means that you, you enter truth. And it is like as if like pieces of a puzzle fell into their place. This is, this is what it's, it's supposed to be. This is what I'm made for. Standing in the truth is the first great gain of accepting gospel. Secondly, you receive forgiveness of your sins by the blood of the Lamb. You know what that means? That in the sight of God, you're totally pure and clean. And the Bible says that who can stand in the presence of the Holy God has eternal life. Wow! This is an amazing gift. Cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, God no longer remembers or even, even, even sees my, my sin anymore. I am clean in His sight. That is the greatest gift in all eternity. This is the huge gain of accepting the truth of the gospel. Thirdly, you get, you get adopted into the family of God. John 1.12, it says, whoever accepts him, who accepts Jesus and believes in his name, gets the privilege to become a child of God. Can you imagine what that means? That you are a son or a daughter of the almighty God who created heaven and earth, that he he wants to be your father. Whoa! This father owns everything. Not just here on earth, but even beyond that. And you, being his child, are his heir. You know what that means? That you're going to inherit a lot. If this God is your father. What an immense benefit of the gospel do we get through Jesus Christ. Thirdly, when you accept Jesus, uh, fourthly, I'm sorry, you're being rescued from a sinful life. You know, when you just live your life in this world, the Bible tells us we are under the rule of sin. And if nothing changes in your life, you just keep being ruled by sin. You were born in sin and you will die in sin. So if Jesus does not step into your life and rescue you from that darkness. Your life is in fact just a waste. But now when you accept him. When you step into the truth. When Jesus comes into your life. You're, you're saved from a wasteful life. Your life makes sense. And you live in truth. And righteousness. And peace with God. That is a life worth living for. And like I said, you, you inherit eternal life. Because once you accept Jesus in your life, it's not just that your sins are forgiven, but also that he comes living in you with his Holy Spirit. Now, that Holy Spirit is never, ever going to leave you again, which means that you have eternal life inside of you. It's never going to stop. You, you start eternal life here, living in this fellowship with God. And once your human body diseases here, this eternal life continues in the very presence of God. Now that, that is something that gives hope. That, that's something that gives perspective to our life. 
That's why we, we don't lose hope. Not even here. Not even when we, we see things crumble in this world. We have hope for something new that God's going to make because he, he gives eternal life inside of us through Jesus. And that's the final thing that I mentioned. I, mean, I just made a short list. I, I, I dare you to, to double or triple the, this list even by things that you can think of, things that you gain through the gospel, that, that you gain through Jesus. But the last thing I want to mention here is an unquenchable hope and joy that we have in him. No matter what happens, Jesus is there. And he's never going to go away. And because he is there, we have reason to hope. And we have reason to be joyful. I mean, quite honest, I'm not all, all day smiling and, and joyful. No, I also have my lows. But deep inside, I know that this, this hope and this joy cannot be taken away by anything. So yes, there are things that can keep people back from accepting gospel. But against that, think of what you gain by accepting the gospel, by accepting the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, what do we learn from this passage where Paul is addressing King Agrippa personally? And Agrippa says, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. First of all, I would like to encourage you to um, be prepared. Be prepared to give your testimony. When um, this uh, Roman governor and King Agrippa decided to, uh, to interrogate Paul, do you think that, um, that they let Paul know a week ahead? So Paul, uh, next week we will have this interrogation in the room over there, so make sure that you have something to... No, of course not. They were just there in their courtroom. Paul was in prison. And at some point, Paul was taken out of prison. And on the way to the courtroom, he was told what was going to happen. How many minutes do you think Paul had to prepare? It may have been three, four, or five minutes. Yet, he, he gave this excellent, eloquent speech about Christian faith, about, about his own experience with Jesus. Okay, we, we're not all Paul. We don't all have the education that Paul had. I, I know that. But we can prepare ourselves. Just think of it. Just exercise for yourself to, to explain the, the most important thing of the gospel in just a few sentences. Just practice it for yourself. Or practice for yourself to, um, to tell your, your personal testimony in just a few words. So that you, when the time comes, when it's needed, that you know what you have to say. Just be prepared. Practice it for yourself. You, you don't have to be as eloquent as Paul, but you can tell others what God has done in your life. And you know what the good thing is about the personal testimony? It's your experience. No one can ever say, that that's not true. Because it's your experience, your testimony about what God has done in your life. That's the first, th first thing. Be prepared. Secondly, grab the opportunity. Um, Paul had many opportunities since he was in prison. Now, I don't recommend you to go to prison in order to get some opportunities. Opportunities are out there everywhere. 
When you have people around them, grab the opportunity. It means um, live your life prayerfully and ask God for openings to speak to people, to talk to them about Jesus. As I just mentioned with all these gains that you have from the gospel, this is the most important thing that people need in this world. You have it, and other people need it. So ask God that he will bring openings in your life, that he will give you opportunities to, to share about Jesus. Don't, don't make it forced. When this is, um, when this is the, the essential part of your identity, it, ju it just comes out naturally. But grab the opportunities that you get, either at school, when you're in the train, when you're in the shop, wherever. When you feel that God leads you to talk to people about Jesus, grab the opportunity. Thirdly, almost, but not completely. Almost, that's a very interesting word. What if I told you that um, there was this lottery and you could win 500 million forints. And you know what? I almost won. But I didn't. Now that's a bummer, right? Or let me tell you, I was in a race with 10 other cars and, and I almost won. But the other one was faster. I didn't win. Or when I was... In, in great danger. For example, I was out at sea and I could hardly swim anymore and I was almost saved. But not completely. Now, how much does that count? Almost actually means nothing, right? So this is Agrippa. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. In this case, this word almost actually means nothing. Conviction is not through eloquence in the first place. Like when, you, when you're able to set up an eloquent speech, as eloquent as possible, then people will be... No, no, no. It's not because of the eloquence of, of speech. The power is in the truth itself. The word of God is the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. That's where the power comes from. And with the power of the word comes the power of the Holy Spirit. In nice theological words, they call it the testimony of the scripture together with the testimony of the Holy Spirit. While people hear the message about Jesus, the Holy Spirit is meanwhile working, knocking on the door of their heart to be let in. So that Jesus can come in and he will have supper with them and they will enjoy eternal life. And you know what? Today, the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself, is likewise knocking on the door of your heart to be let in. Let this day not pass by with an almost. We're going to have um, the Lord's Supper in, uh, in a few minutes. It's... Um, it's a great way to celebrate what Jesus Christ has, has done for us. And as we celebrate, I would like to invite you, each of you personally, to think over what, what you personally have gained through Jesus. 
how your life has become richer through him. And as you take the elements, the bread and wine, that you personally thank Jesus for what he has done in your life. Don't, don't get stuck in this almost. But go, go, go for the full with him. Now let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you not almost came to this world, that you not almost went to the cross to die for our sins, that you not almost rose for us, but you did it completely and showed your great love for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the power of this gospel that lifts us up, that fills us with hope and joy, even in the sometimes hopelessness and, and misery of the world that we live in. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave Holy Supper to remind us over and over again to look upon you, to gaze upon what you have done for us in your great love for us. And fill us with that, Lord Jesus, even right now as we celebrate. We celebrate you and we thank your mighty name. Amen.